As you heard earlier, I'm Adam Boyce, and um, Tom, thank you for having me here um, to minister God's word to you guys this evening. Um, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm a missionary with London City Mission. I've been with London City Mission for seven years now, and as you might have heard earlier on, I'm based over in the best, most diverse and friendly borough in North London, which is Haringey, of course. So I've crossed the county line today um, to come over here um, and spend the evening with you guys. Um, and basically what my team and I spend our time doing is we use our working lives getting to know churches like yours and just um, getting to know the leadership at those, ch those churches, the people at those churches um, like yourselves, and, and what are those churches doing in terms of mission and outreach and evangelism? What aren't they doing? What do they want to do? How can we help them do what they want to do? Um, basically, lots of coffee and lunches and cakes, but most of all, um, getting out there and talking to people about Jesus and um, training and equipping churches to be talking to people about Jesus in a nutshell, what we do. And I'm, myself, I'm not from North London. I was born and raised in the safer side of London, over in the south, in West Norwood, with a little stint in um, Fulton Heath and Croydon. Um, personally, I'm not from a religious family. Um, we never went to church growing up. I asked my dad a couple of years ago if he believed in God, and he said, no, he doesn't do God. He's Church of England. And my dad's, that's true, it's a true story. My dad's family is from Vales. Um, as they pronounce it, and my mum's family is a bit of a mix-up of Trinidad, Indian, and English, um, and so a bit of an eclectic um, upbringing. And I moved to Haringey nearly 20 years ago now, and I landed in Crouch End, and then moved to Finsbury Park, and then we finally settled in Tottenham, where I've been for the last 15, nearly 16 years. So some might say that I slid down the property ladder but I can assure you it was all strategic because the year I moved to Tottenham, I found Arsenal and, to and Arsenal and Tottenham, well, yeah, I discovered there was a team called Tottenham as well. I, I found Arsenal and Jesus in the same year. And one of them's never let me down. I'll let you guys work out which one that is. But we'd just moved to Tottenham um, and it was May 2005. And my son, Jaden, who's here at the back um, with us this evening, and so Jaden, his mum and I, we've just moved to Tottenham. It's about May of, the, of 2005. I'm driving home one evening and I've driven past a Church of England primary school and they've got a massive banner up that is advertised in nursery spaces for that September. And Jaden was due to start nursery that September. So I've made a mental note of it. And then the following Wednesday, I was doing the evening shift in IT. Uh, that's what I did at the time. And I decided to Google um, the school and see if I can find a website for the school. And I don't know if you remember Google 15 years ago, it wasn't what it was nowadays. It was pretty useless. Um, it was still pretty useless now sometimes, but it was really bad back then. So I couldn't find a website for the school, and I, but I remembered that it was a Church of England primary school and across the road was this big church. So I thought, let me try and find a website for the church. And I did find a website for the church, which was, which was good. And it loaded up and there was loads of flying Bibles going across the screen, like some account of a Harry Potter movie. But once I'd fought my way through the flying Bibles, I couldn't find anything on the website about the school, which was pretty useless, again. But what they did have was a download section. And so being a geek working in IT, I thought to myself, what can you download from a church's website? And so I clicked on downloads and all they had on there was four PDF documents sort of compressed 
um, portable documents for the less techie people in the house. And, and it was one for Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four Gospels. And something told me, what I now know as the Holy Spirit, led me to click on Mark. And so I did. I clicked on Mark and up it loads. Never read the Bible in my life. Um, this was about 6.30 on a Wednesday evening. And by about 20 to 8, I'd read the whole of Mark. And the lovely Nigerian security guard was walking around and said, Adam, if you don't get out now, I'm going to lock you in for the evening because you're the only one left. But in between that time, 6.30 and something to 8, this Jesus guy that I'd always heard about, and um, if I'm honest, poked fun at my son's mum for praying to him at night and just thinking that he doesn't really exist, it's just a name at Christmas. Suddenly, Jesus was real for me. And, I, and he lived and he died for me and God raised him from death and, and I believed in Jesus. And it's ironic that I stand here as a, a, a full-time missionary and I'm paid to share my faith with people. I'm, I'm, I'm paid to equip and, and train others to share their faith, but no one shared their faith with me. I just had this encounter one evening randomly, but God doesn't do random, it was all planned, but to me it was random at the time. Just this encounter with God's word. And, I, and from that day, I've just had this firm belief in the power of God's word and how it can change people's hearts and turn their lives around. Which I guess makes me a pretty good missionary on day one, because I managed to convert myself from the start. Um, but so what, so what I did was I emailed the vicar, um, and I said to him, I've just been on your website, and I, I don't know what to do. I think I'm a Christian now. And an email pinged up so almost straight away. He replied back, which wasn't common back then, um, for somebody to reply so quick to an email, especially from a random stranger. But he said, oh, it's good to know the website's working. Come and, you should really come along to one of our uh, midweek services because they're less formal. You can get to know us. We can get to know you, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I put it off for a few weeks. And then finally, I, I rocked up to one of their midweek services. It was about 7.45, so it was a little bit late. And I, I walked in the door, and, and, and there was this short Jamaican lady, um, and she looked at me, she kissed her teeth and she shoved a, a, a leaflet in my hand and then she marched me to a pew. I now know her and she's Auntie Amy and she's a lovely, facely Jamaican lady. Um, and I'd got into the pew and I've looked up, um, sort of got myself together, I've looked up and I've looked up at the stage and, and, and there's this middle-aged white guy with these round glasses on and he's got a leather jacket and he's got a collar and he's got jeans and he's playing his guitar. Um, obviously, I've, I've walked in in the middle of this, this song that I now know is a, a Tim Hughes song, and I've looked around and I've thought, what on earth have I walked into? Because all I really knew about church was when I was flicking the channels on a Sunday evening board and songs of praise would be on and everybody would be looking really sharp and, and looking forward and, and, and singing an old English ancient hymn being played on an ancient English organ by a, probably an ancient English organist. And... That's my experience of church as an unbeliever. But what I, I did have was a sense of belonging and a sense of feeling like I was home. And that was the beginning of my journey and, and love affair with Jesus and his church um, over 15 years ago now. So fast forward seven years, and by this time I'm involved in pretty much all aspects of, of mission and outreach at our church, mainly with young people, as I said earlier on, and sort of church planting on estates. I didn't really know it was church planting at the time. I was just sort of doing as I was told by the vicar. 
Um, and I found myself one day driving to Walthamstow in church minibus with the vicar, with the lawnmower smelling of diesel, um, with the windows open, as you do. Um, and to cut a long story short, and to cut this really long intro short, um, I'd just been made redundant around that time from Haringey Council, so I was sort of out of work at a loose end, and we were just sort of catching up in, in the journey. And he asked me, how are things going at the church plant that you're helping to run the, the, the hut, which was on the estate in Tottenham? And I said, it's, really, it's going great, but I don't feel like I've got a role to sink my teeth into. And he said, OK, I'm, I'm going to make you assistant pastor, because he loved to throw titles at people and, and make them feel important. And he said, but you can't just become an assistant pastor. You've got it. There's no prayer involved, no discernment. But he's, just, he's going to make me assistant pastor, but you have to get some training first. So he said, there's this new scheme at London City Mission. You're, you're probably too old for it, but apply anyway and, and see how you get on. And I, and I did apply anyway, and I failed the Bible test, but for some reason, I, I, I got the job. Um, and seven years later, I'm still here, so I can't be doing too bad. Um, and yeah, that was the start of my journey with London City Mission. And... Here I am about to try and segue into our passage this morning, so I guess I should still myself and, and pray um, before I do. Father God, we thank you for this moment that we have with you. Um, thank you that we are here together, and it's not by accident. It is ordained by you for us to be here in this moment, in this church, about to, to read and learn and, and, and feast on your living word. So Lord, open our hearts and fill them up anew of you, of your son. And Lord, open our minds. May we see you afresh. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, my Lord and my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So Acts for me is an amazing part of the Bible. Um, one of my favourite books in the Bible. Romans is my actual real favourite. It's my desert island Bible book, if such a thing exists. But in Acts, we, not only do we see the start of Jesus' church and how it came together and its growth across Palestine and, and Eastern Europe and up into Italy, but it's so encouraging reading these stories of, of just these everyday people going about their lives, sharing their faith, and, 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 and just living it out, basically. Um, so I'm going to read um, from verses 3 to 11 of chapter 1, just to sort of recap on what um, you guys went through last week. So it's chapter 1, verses 3 to 11 of the book of Acts. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but just in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. 
After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So we're going to be focusing our time on verse 8. The whole book of Acts can be summed up pretty much with this one verse, and it's almost as if Jesus gave a roadmap of the mission of the gospel and how it was going to play out. But we'll, we'll kind of get onto that in a minute. But I just wanted to kind of break down for us what is mission and what does the word mission mean? And I, I Googled it, uh, and Google worked. <laughs> and according to the Oxford Dictionary, a mission is a special journey made by a military aeroplane or space rocket. Uh, another definition, a mission is an important task that people are given to do, especially one that involves traveling to another country. Another one, a mission is the activities of a group of Christians who have been sent to a place to teach people about Christianity. So mission can basically be described as a group of believers sharing their faith in a place. And I guess we could almost narrow it down a little bit more because that group of people is made up of individuals, as, as we are this evening, a believer sharing their faith in a place. Simply put, there's a lot more to it than that, obviously, that is mission. And, and that is the mission that was given to the men of Galilee who were standing around Jesus that day, and it didn't stop with them. And, and mission is pretty much basically being a witness to our risen saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, our calling as Christians by Jesus in this lost and broken world is to go out and be witnesses of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, that life-changing good news. And thankfully, we are called to just be his witnesses. We're not specifically called to be pastors or, or vicars or theologians, although if that is your particular calling, do pursue it with all your heart with the Holy Spirit and speak to your pastor here and, and see where God takes you. But for the most part, for the most of us, we're simply called by Jesus to be his witnesses. And this means that as, as followers of Jesus, if we're to live out this mission that we've all been called to live out, we cannot be silent about our saviour. And for most of us, I mean, when I heard somebody say something like that about 10 years ago in, in my home church in Tottenham, I felt a bit intimidated and a bit uncomfortable just at the thought of it. And the culture we live in today kind of tells us that it's kind of rude and, 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 and uncomfortable to talk about our religious or spiritual beliefs with others. But then on the other hand, we've got this risen saviour in Jesus Christ who, who is God and who is telling us to go and tell others about him so that they can know about him and his work on the cross and his love and his forgiveness and all the eternal benefits that await them if only they would repent and believe. And I guess my first challenge to us here this, this evening is what have you witnessed in your life that Jesus has done? What miracles, what, what signs and wonders have you experienced? What has God got you through? And are you being Jesus' witness to that? 
And as believers, we can have this sort of regular, eternal battle going on. I don't know if any of you can relate to it. You know, we want to tell people about Jesus, but we're too scared to. We, we wait and, and, and are on the lookout for the right time, but, oh, no, the, the, the moment passes again. I remember back in, um, I think it was mid-November, I was on the phone to my electricity company, and I've got two meters, one outside, one inside. The one inside, I just always sort of let it go to the, the estimated billing, which is I learned a stupid thing to do financially. And so I finally given them this, no, I submitted it online, the, the meter reading one day, and I got my bill, and I, I was quite shocked. <laughs> and then I rang them and said, look, I'm quite shocked by this bill. And they said, oh, yes, it's because you've been given us, you haven't been given us meter readings, and, and we've finally got a meter reading from you for the first time in, in, in only God knows how long. And so I said, okay, what does this mean? And, and it basically went, my electricity payments went up um, by an amount to, to sort of cover this. Anyway, and so he sorted it out, and I said, thank you. He said, oh, thank you. And he said, oh, that was pretty easy. And I said, what, 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 what do you mean that was pretty easy? Um, you know, I had this issue, sorted it, it's done. He said, oh, I've had three other phone calls like this um, today, and they weren't easy. I had screaming and shouting and swearing, and, and I was being blamed for, for their problem, and et cetera, et cetera. He said, what's different about you? And in that moment, I had the opportunity to say, well, I believe in Jesus, and he's kind of teaching me not to be like those people that or like I probably would have done one time, you know, shouting and screaming down at you at the phone, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't because I was running late for a Teams meeting in 10 minutes and I wanted to go make a cup of tea. And, and, and as I told everyone earlier on, I had this lovely mince pie sitting on my desk that was going to go with the cup of tea. And I only had 10 minutes and I had to go to the loo as well. And I only had 10 minutes. And in that moment, I just wanted to get off the phone. And I said, oh, you know, I try and be a nice person. And I just moved on. And for the rest of that day, I don't know if you guys experience this sometimes, where God kind of just kicks you when you should have done something or you did something that you said not to do. But I knew in that moment I'd lost the opportunity to tell him why I didn't swear at him or shout at him or, or, or make his life hell like apparently other people had been doing. Let's look for those moments and let's try and take advantage of them. Anyway, Jesus has been appearing to different people in different places since he suffered and died as we read but this was the last known conversation between Jesus and his disciples he's appeared a few times to a few individuals since his ascension but this is the last sort of person to person combo between him and his guys before he went up to heaven to be with God and he kind of proves to them in many ways that he is alive and he talked to them about God's kingdom he then tells them not to leave Jerusalem because the gift of the Holy Spirit that he told them about before hasn't come yet. Then we see the apostles asking Jesus, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore the kingdom? Is it now that you're going to do that thing that you've been telling us for so long that you're going to do? And Jesus basically replies to them, mind your own business. It's not for you to know the date and the time when this is going to happen. Here Jesus is saying to them and to us, it's not about when he's going to restore the kingdom. Right now, it's about building the kingdom. Because he goes on to say in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power, Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, if you're born again, if we are born again, if we've put our faith and trust and life in Jesus, we too have that power, Holy Spirit living inside of us. 
That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in us, it lived in them. And here is Jesus saying that you have power to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this one verse, as I said, can sum up the book of Acts. In chapter 2, and slight oh, spoiler alert, I mean, it's not really going to help you because I'm going to say it anyway, but in chapter 2, we see the believers receiving the Holy Spirit at the first day of Pentecost, and then from the rest of chapters 2 to chapter 7, we see the rapid growth of the church in Jerusalem. From chapters 8 to 12, we see because of the Jews being persecuted, the people had to spread out into the Judean countryside and the gospel was spreading and the church was growing and we see Philip go down into Samaria and, and a load of people becoming believers down there. And then from chapters 13 to, to the end, to chapters, chapter 28, we see Paul and his traveling companions basically spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire to the ends of what, what the known world at the time to them. And it's, I find it interesting that Jesus would give his mission to his disciples, because if you really think about it, just weeks earlier, they all pretty much failed Jesus. When the going got tough, and as we read in all of the Gospels, the tough really got going for Jesus and for them, they all ran away. And if I was Jesus, I don't think I would want to trust these men with this, this world-changing mission, because... I've seen them kind of prove to me that they're kind of weak and they're, they're kind of failures in some ways. And we need to remember that Jesus' mission isn't going on a coffee run at work, you know, it's not feeding the neighbour's cat while they're away. It's not just any old task, any old mission. This mission is to take the message of the gospel of salvation to all people, people that without hearing this message and believing in it, they're hopeless and lost in their sins. But as we've said, the, the, the track record of these disciples wasn't great. They ran, they fled, they left Jesus to it, they laid low and things got really hot. Despite the fact that Jesus had laid bare to them so many times on numerous occasions, they were still pretty clueless because they're standing there asking, oh, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom? As we read in verse 6. Clearly they still haven't got what Jesus has been telling them all this time about God's kingdom and they're looking out for this sort of geographical, political, boundary kind of victory perspective, silliness. Why would Jesus trust these misfits, these letdowns, perceivably, these far from perfect men? And the answer, I think, is at the beginning of verse 8. Jesus hasn't, you know, he's not called these imperfect humans to this massive task without providing them with the means or the fuel or the power they need to do it. Jesus says they will receive the power they need for his mission when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in three days. Brothers and sisters, do we see what's happening here? The power that is given by the Holy Spirit is given to empower them, it's given to empower us. God's people for God's mission to be witnesses to the risen Saviour, Jesus of Nazareth. And it's not power to pursue and realise and, and achieve our dreams. God's spirit hasn't been poured out and lavished on us to help us get that promotion at work or, or that dream job or amazing grades or whatever. I mean, those things are amazing. And, and you know, we, if we believe God's hand is, is all over everything uh, that happens to us and, and with us and through us, 
but the power that God gave them and that he gives us, as we read here, is the power that equips us to be his witnesses. No matter what we're doing. And this might be in the shape of God leading and, and emboldening us to speak a truth to a friend that really needs to hear it. Or it might be in the shape of you responding kindly you know, to people or a person in your life who has or who are still sinning against you and treating you wrongly. Or it might be you responding graciously and Christ-like when life deals you a heavy blow. After heavy blow, after heavy blow, as life sometimes can, in the shape of trials and disappointment. The point is that God has given us the power to show Jesus to those in our world with our lives, with our words, with our deeds. So in truth, Jesus isn't trusting these misfit men of Galilee alone or these misfit men and women here in this church in Hampstead this evening or, or even this gold-toothed visiting misfit from Haringey. No, he's trusting the fact that we and those disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and we're powered by the Holy Spirit. And that tells us just how much Jesus trusts the Holy Spirit and its power, that he can go back into heaven, he can jam with God on his right side and, and leave his mission behind in good hands, in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And I know it can seem really daunting, the mission that Jesus has called us all to as believers. Even for myself as a missionary and, 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 and as somebody that trains people in churches, no boasting that, it's just, it's just what I do. Sometimes the, the thought of sharing my faith with somebody, having to spark up a conversation that I know will need me to open up about my beliefs and what I think of God and what I'm going through, and it can freeze me up and cripple me. Sometimes fill me with dread and fear. I have a little bit of imposter syndrome going on as well sometimes, and that doesn't help. Don't know if anybody can relate. But that's a natural response to, to what Jesus has called us to do because it's bigger than us. So we should really feel something like that. It's so big, in fact, that we can't do it on our own, and that's why he had to leave the power of the Holy Spirit behind for us, and that's just the point. God will never call us to something that we can achieve by our own power because there's no glory in that for him. He will only call us to something that we will need to rely on him for and his power for and his spirit for. And ultimately that will show that God is the provider of all things. And that will bring him the glory. And so really the book of Acts, or the book of the Acts of the Apostles as its full title is, really should be known, I think, as the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, these acts wouldn't have happened. I feel like I've gone down a bit of a Holy Spirit rabbit hole, so I wasn't meant to be concentrating on that bit of the verse. Telling people about me everywhere, the latter part of the verse says, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as with any passage of scripture, we need to do some double reading sometimes. You know, what, what I mean is, what does this passage mean for them, you know, the audience that Luke was writing about and to and originally intended it for, some 2,000 odd years ago. And what does it mean for us here and now, today, this evening, in London, in the cold? I could go on. 
So with Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let's look. We can look briefly, as quickly as I can, I'm looking at the clock, um, what it meant for the men of Galilee to be told by Jesus that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For these disciples, this would have meant quite literally what Jesus said, I believe. Jerusalem, it was a social, commercial, political, and kind of religious capital, <clears throat> excuse me, of the region of Judea that it sat in. And Samaria was the area that was just north of Judea. And even though these men were from Galilee, which is even farther north, um, up in the Holy Land, um, Jerusalem would have been their sort of, and every Jewish person's sort of spiritual home, almost like their, their Mecca. Um, and in three days after Jesus, had, they've had this encounter with Jesus, one of the biggest Jewish festivals of the year was about to take place, and the city was going to be filled with loads of Jewish people from all over. And, if, and when you read on in, in, in the following chapter, you'll see exactly where they're from. It's a long list. I'm not going to read it now. But literally, the ends of the earth were descending on Jerusalem in three days' time. And what a better time or place for Jesus to birth his church. And then Judea was the, so that's Jerusalem. Judea was the southern region of the Holy Land and it included Jerusalem, the capital, as I said. And we read at the beginning of Acts chapter 8 that there was this great persecution that breaks out in, across um, Jerusalem and the believers were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And we read that those who were scattered begin to share the gospel wherever they went. And we read that Philip then goes up into Samaria and he preaches to the people up there and about Jesus, the Messiah. And we read that the Samaritans start to give their life to the Lord. And do we see what's happening here, brothers and sisters? As Jesus told them to, so it, it's being done. They're being his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea. And if you read on in Acts, as I mentioned earlier, Paul takes it to the ends of the, of the known earth then. So what does this mean for us? I mean, put sim I mean, there's loads of ways that, the, that this has kind of been chopped up, applied, thought about, and, and, and theologically mulled over probably over, over the last 2,000 years. I'm going to give it a try of how we apply this to our lives. But I think, simply put, it means that our Jerusalem, we could look at that as our home, our church. You know, we could start with where we're at. You know, those in, in, in our nearest circles of families and friends, those who are just like us, I guess, maybe. And just as the early disciples had to leave their comfort zone of, of what, where, and, and who were familiar to them, so must we. We must get out into our Judea, metaphorically, and be Jesus' witnesses to those people and in those places that surround our Jerusalem. And in Judea, the disciples were persecuted. You know, they were fleeing persecution from Jerusalem. It didn't stop there. They're fleeing violence and even death. But what makes us feel persecuted? And does it stop us from sharing out our faith to those that are in Judea? And I guess Judea, we could fill that with our work, our, our college or uni, our pub or club. There, there's just a few examples. What stops us from sharing the gospel with people in those areas of our life? And where is our Samaria? Samaria, I guess, is the hardest place 
for a lot of us. The Samaritans were really hated and considered the worst of humanity by the Jewish people of Jesus' times because the, the Samaritans were half Jewish, half pagan, and, and they also worshipped other gods and they practiced the Jewish side of their faith in, in different and strange ways from the mainstream Jewish people. In a nutshell, in a nutshell they were chalked to the Jewish people's cheese. And geographically, they were really close to them. As I said, they were in the sort of the next region up from, from Judea, not, you know, not a million miles away from um, Jerusalem. But in terms of culture and lifestyle and religion and tradition, they were a million miles away from um, the Jewish people that we read about in Acts. So what does Samaria look like for us? You know, is it people who are different from us because of their religion, their race or background, their career or their status, I could go on. Um, or is it those people that we most dislike or, or avoid? Family members, neighbors, colleagues, old school friends. Who's the chalk to our cheese? Who's the people that we avoid spending time with and or sharing the gospel with? And if you think about how the Samaritan community was reached, in chapter 4 of John's Gospel, someone, Jesus, had to cross a cultural barrier and share the gospel with a Samaritan woman, and her life was changed. And then that woman went back to her own culture, to her people, where she was known, and, and many people, we read, came to faith in Jesus because of her testimony. And finally, and... and this point kind of merges in with the Samaria one in, in this sort of mashup of a biblical analogy of mine, the uttermost ends of the earth. And, and I guess you could say from one point of view, we are the ends of the earth that Jesus was talking about because we're a million miles away from southern Palestine and the gospel has reached us. So we could, could really be included in the ends of the earth that he was talking to his disciples about. But more practically, and to fit in with my lovely little analogy, um, the ends of the earth is right here on our doorstep. Right here in London. London's the most globalised city in the world. For example, in, in um, Southall, just near it, you've got about 80, a community of about 80,000 Somali people. Across the city, um, there's about a million uh, Muslims that live amongst us, with us, alongside us. And even here in well, Dark Camden this evening, about 34% of your borough, the population are from black, Asian and other communities. So the ends of the earth is right here on our doorstep. And I don't think we're to take this in any particular order. I think we're just to live out our lives being witnesses to Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, where we're at in our lives and who we're with, that's our Jerusalem. In our wider world, where we spend our time, our Judea, and especially with those that aren't like us, or are the chalk to our cheese, our Samaria, because God has brought the ends of the earth to our doorstep. And that's Jesus' mission plan, simply put. But is it working? Take a look around you, literally physically now this evening. Take a look around you. you know, Act, the book of Acts was written over 2,000 years ago. We're sat here 
in a, in a, in a somewhat cold church in, in a cold January evening in Hampstead, probably hoping that the person next to you doesn't cough or sneeze so you don't get the omni lurgies. But guys, look at the men and women and the colours and ages and wages and stages of life that we're blessed to be here with this evening. I'd say God's mission plan is working because we're here. I mean, of course it is. It's God's mission plan. It's not going to fail, is it? I mean, that's really stupid of mine, of me to leave it hanging for so long because the God that created the heavens and the earth and all within it knew exactly what he's doing, knows exactly what he's doing because we're here this evening as part of that mission plan to hear and learn from his word. And, and God knows us. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the God himself, he knows each and every one of us personally. He knows your past, he knows your present, he knows your thoughts, he knows your joys, your highs, your lows, your shames, your pains. And despite all of that, the God that made the heavens and the earth loves us. So much that he would die that, he, that we can have life, so much that he would put power inside of us to be a part of God's mission plan. And just like that, we read, he was taken up into a cloud and they could no longer see him. Then two men appeared to them, asking them, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has gone, but he'll be coming back soon. One day, the same way he left is the same way he's going to appear again from a cloud descending from heaven. And God used to use a cloud to shield his, his people from his glory. You, you can read about that in Exodus and, and in 1 Kings in the Old Testament, but we know from Revelation chapter 1 that he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen, we read. Family, don't stand around staring into, into the sky waiting for Jesus. Be his witnesses. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you um, for this evening and we thank you that we even have the privilege, Lord, of being able to freely and openly just sit in this place and read from your words and open our hearts to you. Lord, continue to use us, continue to strengthen us, continue to bless us, continue to use us as, as vessels of your peace, of your love, but most importantly of the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent to save humanity from their sins. And hear the words of Paul to the Ephesians. He writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work even right now within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And we all said together, Amen. God bless you.